dive in Hope comes and stops us in our tracks Bravely we prove in our striving Trudging together each day Hello, everyone, and welcome to Raw Recovery, a Trudging Together podcast. My name is Dion Miller. I'm going to be your host today. Uh, today is part of our professional series, and um, I have brought on a drunk whisperer, Amy Moore. Amy, welcome to the show. Thank you, Dion. Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, we've been trying to do this for a couple weeks, but uh, Amy... Amy was traveling, and you know what? Let's just get to what happened this weekend. That was so cool. Tell tell us what happened this weekend. So this weekend, I was at a Blue October show, and the lead singer, Justin Furstenfeld, yep. came out into the audience and danced with me. Wow. And, cool. <laughs> and my daughter actually got it on video. So I, I saw it. It was so cool. And what, what a neat guy. The the reason why this is so cool is because he's been in recovery for 11 a, years. 11 yeah. years now. Wow, he got more time than I do, man. Um, and it shows in his music. Right. Um, you know, I know people are on a jelly roll roll, but Blue October's music is actually about recovery. Right. So. Well, his old <laughs> stuff, his old stuff is about the darkness, you know. Oh, really yeah. Fun the dark yeah. mental health and you know like what he was like before when he was using and drinking and i actually met him in 2003 wow at the um in las vegas at the okay. house of Blues, and he wow. was trashed like trashed out of his mind oh yeah Man. that's so cool because wow what a difference right i mean we you we get to see the transformation and this is what, why we do what we do, to see these transformations in people. Um, and hearing that music go from such darkness, I mean, evil darkness, to standing in the sunlight of the spirit. Um, and you went from him being trash to dancing with him silver, man. I mean, how could recovery not be cool? Right. I mean, we, we have a lot, we, we really enjoy ourselves. And the neat thing is, is you remember it, you weren't drunk. So cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, he, held, he held my grandbaby too. I don't know if you saw that picture. But. I did not see that part. I was a little too jealous. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I've been getting messages all weekend saying, Have oh, you, no, I, well, it's such a neat story. And I'll be honest, you you deserve it. You know, uh, those are the gift. I really feel like those are the gifts that God gives us yeah, when we're absolutely. doing what we're supposed to be doing. I agree so, 100%. Like my, I have never had a bigger smile on my face for sure. <laughs> You're still smiling. You're even blushing a little bit. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. Nobody, nobody else can see, but I'll, I'll let yeah. people know you. I, I got to um, J.R. Richards is one of my favorite uh, singers. He was the lead singer at Dishwalla, uh, him and Ed Qualcheck. But I got to meet uh, J.R. Richards, and uh, I gave him my two-year chip. I couldn't find my one-year chip. I was about four years sober. And uh, he almost didn't want to take it. And I'm like, don't worry, I've got plenty of other chips. And and so it was just neat because I listened to him the first year of my sobriety and music's a big part of my life. So um, I love telling those stories. Yeah. So 
tell us how did you get the name a drunk whisper i've kind of wondered that how did that name come about so, well maybe we should tell people what you do we're talking intervention um versus 12 stepping today um and the differences between and the similar meant there's going to be similarities too so we're going to talk through those things because we all need to understand that we all have a job, but we need to stay in our lanes or we can become dangerous. So. Right. Uh, yeah. So intervention wasn't something that I just like set out to do. Okay. It kind of, it kind of fell in my lap. Actually, I um, helped do an intervention on my aunt in 2005. Okay. And a man here who kind of started intervention in Colorado, Howie Madigan, uh -huh. was actually facilitating the intervention and okay. I was a part of the team. Well, okay. she said, no, I'm not going anywhere, blah, blah, blah. And sure. I went outside and talked to her and told her a little bit about what recovery looks like and how her life could change and talked her into going. Yeah. And so the next opportunity that I got really was in 2012. Okay. And I was... I was with a friend and he came up to me and he said, Amy, have you ever thought about doing interventions? And I was like, yes, like that's my dream job. Cause I'd been watching the show. I'd been watching this like sober transport show on television. Yeah. And I even applied to like sober escorts and a bunch of those other um, like programs out there. Yeah. Just, yeah. Like, there's a lot of programs. Yeah. And sober escorts was one of the first ones. And I was like, yeah, I would love to be a sober escort. And uh, they never even responded to me. But a guy here in Denver, after he asked me that, he's like, I have a friend that's looking for a female interventionist. Okay. And he introduced me to another interventionist here in Colorado. And so I started working second chair with him. So he was teaching okay. me. I was at the interventions with him. And then I was taking on part of the role in the actual intervention process. And we did an intervention on a nurse. And wow. this intervention was crazy. We did the intervention in a hotel yep. room. Her parents came out here from another state. Yep. Parents, family members, friends, everybody. Everybody was a little bit nervous about the boyfriend because the boyfriend was a drug dealer. But this was an intervention okay. for mental health, addiction, and um, <clears throat> eating disorder. Okay. And she was a nurse stealing medications from her patients. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, boyfriend shows up after she shows up there, you know, mm. and he's like, you're, you're coming with me. He came in with a gun and everybody's just like, oh my gosh, like, what, wow. what are we going to do? Yeah. And he's like, we're out of here. And I said, well, then I'm coming with you. Whoa. And this wasn't part of like the script or anything. No, well, yeah, no, it you wasn't. Have to think on your feet when you're doing interventions. Yeah, because they're not. You're not going to be able to cover every. We call them what ifs. Yeah, and exactly. you're not going to be able to cover every single one of them. Yeah, we don't have a contingency plan for every single thing that can come. Yeah. Up. So I yeah. leave with her, and I'm like, so what are we going to do? You know, and he's like, no, she's not coming with us, and this gal that we're doing the intervention on is like, yes, she is. And so we leave and she goes, okay. I go to a meeting. And so we actually went to a meeting in Brighton. Okay. And met up with her old sponsor. And um, we talked for a while, me, her and her sponsor and convinced okay. her that going to treatment was a good thing. Yep. 
So I came back, you know, in, in all this time, I'm not communicating with anybody back at the hotel. Okay. They're back there freaking out, you know. Wondering what's going on, yeah. Exactly. We walk in and she says, okay, I'll go. And her brother, who was a doctor, said, oh my God, you're the yeah. drunk whisperer. Ah, there it is. <laughs> uh, uh, uh. And I was like, that is a perfect name. For it a is. But I'm not thinking of doing interventions at this time on my own. Not at all. Like, I'm happy yeah. doing second chair, you know, being involved. Um, it's exciting. I'm like, oh, my gosh. Like, this is what I need. It's a, you know, it's a free high. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I, I absolutely believe that God gave each of us addicts and alcoholics a talent. And that talent is saving other people's lives. Yeah. We can help when nobody else can. See, when you have somebody with experience, strength and hope and education, you have a great shot at taking an unwilling person and making them willing. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, and that and it can be done. Um wow to go with him. People don't understand Drug dealers are dangerous, dangerous people. They don't do drugs. Well, there's peddlers and then there's drug dealers. Right. And drug dealers don't do drugs. And they're very smart people. And wow, wow, talk about God intervening there. What right. a neat story. What a neat story. Right. And then, of course, yeah, you know, the, the, and I, I absolutely agree, the best high that I've ever gotten, and I've had a lot of highs is helping other people right i love 12 step work i love it it's it's why i do what i do it's why i go to meetings it's why i do my podcasting and all these things it's very very satisfying to me um let's get to let's kind of get to the topic though let's um do you want to cover intervention or 12 stepping first whatever you like i mean i'm 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 good with both I think okay. that people are often um, confused about what it is. Yeah. Why don't, we, why don't we start there? What do you think the number one confusion is? Well, I think that the number one confusion for most people is that we should help everybody for free. You know, like everything, yeah. every service that's out there around addiction, mental health, uh, process addiction should all be free. Yeah. And whether, you know, no matter what, no matter how it comes about, that people should just be out there like waiting to to help these people and that nobody yeah. should be making a dime on anybody's pain. That's really some of the stuff that I've heard is that. Yeah, we do get profit on somebody else's struggle. Yeah. And, and I'm known for calling people out on that. And that's exactly the reason why I'm starting the professional suit. Because I want people to know there's actual help out there. There's plenty of help in Colorado. Right. It's just about going to the right place for your needs. It's about understanding the needs and then finding the right person. And and that's what we're that's what we're about. But yes, the you know we we still have to put food on the table. We still need to pay our rent. You know, and if we did everything for free, then we'd be living in the cardboard box with you. Right. Um, and there's a separation there. There's a separation there. I mean, you went back to school and got an education so that you would be paid for this. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And I have a lot of years of experience in looking at different options for people, different options for the family, you know, all of the resources that are available to everybody instead of them going onto Google and finding a million treatment options. Now yeah. we can narrow it down to the places that I've actually visited, seen like what they're doing, yeah. um, looked at their clinical care, making sure that what they're doing is appropriate and that I would send my own child there. There you go. Yeah. Yeah. And that's one thing that we do is we build trust, our reputations. And when we refer to somebody, I mean, that's our reputation on the line. So we're very careful about that. Right. Uh, it didn't always used to be that way, but you know, you, you got to work the flow. And right now you're guilty until proven innocent. Sorry. But um, I think probably the biggest thing between the intervention and the, and a 12 step call is a 12 step call um, the call has been initiated by the person wanting help, whereas an intervention, the person doesn't even know that it's going to happen. Correct. So, so the family, the family thinks that they need help and have, you know, like some families have offered them help. Some families haven't, okay. but really they're like, they need help and we don't know how to help them. That's yeah. an intervention. Somebody that um, wants a 12 step call and wants resources. I, you know, typically I will give somebody that's calling me and begging for help the same resources that I would give somebody that pays me, Yeah. but they're begging for the help. Yeah. You know, like they want the help. They're willing to do anything to get the help and they have some skin in the game. So it's not me behind the scenes, like orchestrating everything and making sure that everything's set up in a way that would help them. They are actually making the phone calls. They're the ones looking at the different treatment centers they're the yeah. ones calling and asking for scholarships or whatever it is so that they can get the best care that they can get yeah and i i think you hit on a big part it's and it's skin in the game because until an alcoholic or an addict has skin in the game not much is going to be done and there are ways to make them realize that they have skin in the game um, what are some of the processes that we kind of do with that? Um, or maybe basically give me an idea of a, uh, of like a basic intervention and kind of what happens. So an intervention, typically the family members will call me, you know, parents, friends, whoever has the, the most concern, or they sometimes will just appoint a point person to okay. like, get all the information, like gather information, call different places and see what's available out there. And then when they start calling me, I really do an assessment with the family. So I will send them a questionnaire. They fill okay. out the questionnaire. Um, I send them my contract after the first consultation with them. So they sign the contract, they pay my fee, and then we set up a date for the actual intervention. And so okay. that's how they secure that date is by paying the fee, doing the contract, doing the sure. questionnaire. Sure and then once the location. They, yeah. And then once they send the contract or the questionnaire back to me, then I will read over it and see what I think is the best clinical fit for the person that we're doing the intervention on. There you go. Okay. Do we need dual diagnosis. Is it a process addiction? Is it, you know, pure addiction you know, what are they addicted to how much oh, yeah. are they doing do they need de detox like do they need a higher level of detox do they need yeah. a higher level of care before they can actually go inpatient 
So determining what level of care that they need first and then finding a treatment facility. I'm not affiliated with any treatment facilities, but yeah. I have toured a lot of them. So a question I often get from families is, do you get paid from the treatment center to refer us to them? No, I don't. No. I don't get any, nope. any benefit other than I know that your person's going to a place that I will put Absolutely. Yep. on. Yep. And so and, then I and thank you for that, by the way. Because yes. I teach you away from the, well, when we start doing the referral from that, that starts to become body brokering. Right. And it's not, it, it can lead to it. Right. You know, and it's so easy to say, oh, well, this treatment center is going to give me 5000 if I send them there, where this one. So, yeah, it's just like the radio stations. We don't get gifts. We're not allowed to take them. HIPAA doesn't allow us. We're, we're under contract. We're not allowed to take money that we haven't done the work for. Right. And I think that that's really important for people to know that there are some things going on in the industry that aren't ethical. Yeah. And so finding an ethical person, you know, is important. It's really important. Yeah. And so then I probably pick two to three different treatment facilities. I don't want to overwhelm them with too many options. Sure. But I give them two or three different options that work with their insurance or with their self-pay that they can afford to do this treatment. And then they call and actually make the final choice. Yeah. Because there are things that the that the family thinks about that I don't. I'm looking at clinical care. Sure. I'm looking at the really the professional side of it. And they're thinking about like how, you know, like, is it on the beach? Is it in the sun? Is it in the snow? Yeah. Is it, you know, can I they need smoke? To bring my toothbrush? Yeah, right? yeah. Exactly. Can I have my cell phone? Stuff like that. You know, the families, you know, have a, a very different agenda than what I do. Yeah. So then I let them determine the place based on those three suggestions that I give. Sometimes the families come with treatment centers already in mind. Okay. Fine. But I tell the family, I'm not going to stake my reputation on a place that I don't know. Yeah. But you're free to send them to whatever facility that you like. As long as it's not Florida. Exactly. Well, there are places in Florida that aren't aren't doing a lot of the other things that the Florida model yeah. is doing. And there again, it's the bullies right. ruining the playground for exactly. everybody else. So. And there are other states that have done the same thing. They just didn't get it as high of a rap as Florida did. Yeah. But I do have a couple of treatment centers in Florida that are doing a good job, that have ethical practices. Awesome. And uh, yes, I will send to a couple of different places there. So That's fantastic. And that, and that is part of what we do as people in recovery is we understand that when somebody comes in, they're, they're extremely vulnerable and easily manipulated, especially if they're already willing. And that's why it's very, you know, um, what you just described was what I would do on a 12 step call. I'm going to meet that person where they're at. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, um, I, I never expect somebody else that I'm going to help to um, to uh, meet me where I'm at. So, you know, we go we do 12 step calls and and, you know, I usually when I'm doing a 12 step call, I usually ask pertinent questions like, um, what's your family life like? Are you married? What are your you know, do you have kids? I, what I'm doing is I'm finding out who they're close to. Because I'm going to use this person to make them even more willing. Right. You bet. Because for me, when I got here, um, 
I got sober because I was tired of hurting my wife and kids. I didn't care about me. Now I got into the program and I had to do recovery for myself. I definitely had to do that for me, man. Um, or it wasn't going to work. But I believe you can get sober for any reason you want to. Mm -hmm. And if I can use a family member, you know, because then, when, you know, when it comes to my experience, I could tell them, you know, the best gift I gave my, you know, if they're close to their mom, I'll say mommy. The best thing I ever gave to my mommy was I quit drinking. Now she doesn't have to worry about that phone call at two o'clock in the morning, man. Right. So. You know, and that's where I can use, that's where I can use my experience. And, you know, I've got a little bit of background. I've got a couple of letters after my name, so I can do a little bit more, but really a 12 step call is just there for me to share my experience and to bring that person hope and to kind of wrap them and bring them into the program and bring them to a meeting from there. My job's kind of, my job's kind of done as a 12 stepper. Um, and I, and I got that done. I feel great about myself. How does an intervention go? I mean, I know that they go around in in a circle. What's kind of what kind of happens inside of that? So after we pick treatment, then I get the family unit together and we okay. do like a first session with them. So I try to get from everybody's point of view, basically what the questionnaire talks about, like how okay why are you involved in this intervention? Like, how are you feeling? What do you think has been going on that um, constitutes an intervention? So then each person kind of goes around the room. I also ask them, like, how are they feeling about it? You know, like, okay. are, they, are they nervous? Are they, you know, like, are they hopeful? And typically in the beginning, they're really nervous. They're oh, really yeah. scared. They don't want to, you know, wreck their relationship with the person, but they're more scared that they're going to die. Yeah. So after we go around the room, I get a bigger picture of what's going on from all perspectives. Got and it. what this does is it kind of creates a cohesive team for everybody. It yeah. starts the healing process within the family okay. and the family starts to be able to know like, okay, the gig is up. Like I'm no longer holding secrets. Yeah. The addict. And Yay. now everybody knows everything that's going on. Yeah. Whereas, you know, just the one person, usually the spouse is the one that's been held hostage. Yeah. Has all of the secrets and nobody else really knows what's going on. Now, all of the skeletons are out in the middle of the room on the table for everybody to see. Yeah. And that starts the healing process. And then I encourage them to do things that they don't want to do like yeah. get support for themselves get support for I was gonna, I was going to ask if it, if the family disease portion comes up yes absolutely nobody gets to stay healthy in sickness Thank everybody you. gets sick yeah so family develops all of these survival skills all of these coping mechanisms that they start to use that aren't healthy for them yeah, And they either get in real close and helicopter over this person <laughs> and try to save them from the bottom or they completely remove themselves. That's yeah. Typically what yep. So starting the healing process for them, because I truly believe that if the family doesn't change, there's no way on earth that the addict can. I, I absolutely agree with you. Um, you know, I've seen, I don't know how many times I've seen somebody come into the program and they start to get they start to get better 
but they stay stagnant because of their spouse, because their spouse refuses. And eventually they get divorced. And that person in the program usually ends up then moving forward and marrying somebody else's in the program. That's usually what happens. That's what I see. Yeah. Um, I was lucky that, you know, my family, my wife was willing to heal and, and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, but you got to have that unit. You, it takes a tribe to get sober. Yeah. Um, you know, I believe that everybody is just looking for one thing. You know, somebody that understands. You ask a homeless person what they want. That's what they'll tell you. Yeah. Somebody that understands, somebody yeah. that'll listen. And that's a lot of it, you know, letting the families tell me all the things that are going on and really have that compassionate listening ear. And then along with the education comes training, training of yeah. how do we flip the script on this person that you've been trying to talk to? Because yeah. everybody tries to talk to them and tell them all the things that they're doing wrong and that they need yeah. to change. But dialoguing with an addict never works. Yeah. Their prefrontal cortex is shut off. So they're going to treat you like you're the enemy. Yeah. You try to talk to them. But a group can do what a singular person cannot do. That's correct. And I train them how to write an effective letter, like backed by science, that can help them with this process and motivate that person to get the help that somewhere inside of them, they know that they need the help. They sure. just don't know how to ask for it. Yeah. I think, I think everybody in the world has, has the problem of asking for help. Right. Right. Um, I think we're all, we're all kind of born with a certain amount of denial, but we alcoholics tend to take it to the extreme, but yeah, nobody, nobody wants to think that they're bodily and mentally different from their foes. Nobody likes that feeling. Yeah. You nobody know? does. So teaching them how to write a letter, an effective letter, and then facilitating the conversation is really important. You know, a lot of people think that once I give them this information and I want to make sure that the people that are listening don't think that because I've given you a lot of information today that you're going to go and have a successful intervention. Oh, because no. The biggest part of a successful intervention is having somebody there to facilitate this conversation because oh, yeah. what you've tried hasn't worked. Yeah. Um, and just like the alcoholic, all of the best thoughts got you there. Right. You know, and, you know, it, it, it usually takes somebody with experience to usually get through to the person. Um, because, you know, the alcoholic or addict, it just seems like somebody always wants something, even if it's just quitting. You know, oh, yeah. And we, we you know, all the problems are. And most times we just want to be left alone. We're not hurting anybody. But once we realize that we are hurting other people, it tends to change a little. Am I am I correct on that? When when the addict or alcoholic starts to realize that their that their behavior is affecting their favorite mommy or their auntie, they change. absolutely. And I make sure that even though I do a non-confrontational part uh, intervention, that there is a part in the letters that I have them write the realities of the addiction and how it really is affecting them, how yeah. much it hurts them, how many sleepless nights they have, you know, what it really has done. Because unfortunately, when your prefrontal cortex is turned off, yeah. you don't have the ability to see yourself. So okay. you can you explain that a little bit more for us. You don't have executive thinking. Okay. You can't make a plan. You're basically in fight or flight all yeah. the time. 
Okay. So survival, survival mode. Yeah. Survival okay. mode. Okay. Constant survival mode. So yeah. there's no way to actually appraise like how you're doing or how anybody else is doing. You can't see that stuff. Yeah. You're literally thinking five to 10 seconds into the future. That's yeah. it. And so coming up with a plan, being able to say, hey, I need help and making a plan, highly unlikely. Yeah. Probably never going to happen. Probably, yeah, probably not. Unless they are confronted with something. I, you know, otherwise we just go on our merry way. thinking, right. And we think that our world is the only world that actually exists because that's our perception. Um, so when when we do talk to the person that that has a problem um i mean what's that like are they usually are they usually pretty willing to listen or um do you get a, got a lot of pushback it depends like it really depends some of it is the family you know family okay. dynamic um says a lot about how the intervention is going to go usually i know within a few seconds whether that person will go to treatment or not you know, okay. after seeing them, because I haven't met them up until the day of the intervention. But love typically keeps people in the room. Yeah. Love and curiosity. They want to know okay. what is in those letters. They want to know the dirt that you have. They yeah. really do. Yeah. And they don't really know that it's all wrapped up with love, but they can see that the family has changed. They yeah. can see that something's different just by the energy and the they're room. handwritten letters too aren't they they are handwritten that's letters. so powerful yep um my grandma i was the only person drunk at my own wedding at my mom's house who has you know 40 years of sobriety but anyway i don't know how i got away with that um but my grandma she wrote me she wrote me a handwritten letter man and it made me take a serious it, it would still be a few years, um, but she she said, my dying wish is to see you sober. Mm. And I did it. I did it. I got sober before she died. No regrets, you know. I, and uh, But it was because of that letter. Because there was, And it wasn't long. She didn't beat the hell out of me. It was all love. Um, she said, please get the help that you need. I can say this because I'm your grandma, you know. Um, but I, you know, just the love that came from it and I keep it, I keep it in my, I keep it in my drawer next to my bed and I read it every now and then to remind me of the person that I used to be and who I am now. That's awesome. So, and it is powerful. It's powerful for them when they get to hear it. It's mm -hmm. also powerful for them when they go to treatment and the therapeutic team can use those letters to help them see and break through some of those delusions that they have. Yeah. It's, very, it's it's a very powerful tool and a very powerful for the person that's writing it. It's a cathartic yeah. exercise that happens. Well, healing because yeah, absolutely because what you're doing because people tend to think that amends are about saying sorry and and the guilt and but really it's about justice. That's where the healing comes in. They finally felt like they got some justice because they got to write it. They got to write it down. And pen to paper is powerful, especially when we write our emotions down. That's why journaling's so great, you know. And then so they have that healing. And then to go into treatment, knowing that these five, six people all have your back, 
that's going to give them that's going to bring their success rate up or their you know their rate of being able to stay sober it's going to bring it up because skin in the game accountability is skin in the game and if we can make if we can make them accountable in the beginning i found that it works extremely well because the whole thought process changes absolutely i can't get drunk i got to meet with my sponsor today exactly exactly setting yourself up for success and i I love it too. You know, I'm always telling people build a solid foundation and set yourself up for success. You know, yeah. If you know you're going to be around um, some people that trigger you and you're going to get some, you know, crazy thoughts inside of your head, set up a, a meeting with your sponsor after you meet with your family, you know, yeah. like then you don't have to worry about picking up the phone. Mm-hmm. You already have yourself set up for that success. So. Exactly. Yeah. And Dr. Bob was big on that too. Mm-hmm. Um, and we do that a lot. You know, I pray every morning. I do steps one, two, and three, and I work on my foundation because there's days when I wake up and steps one, two, and three are all I got. Right. It's just that kind of day. And if you, it's true. If you have a strong, unshakable foundation, yeah. Um, and you, you, of course, you got to maintain that foundation by learning more, um, giving it away, you know, things like that. Do you have, um, I'm trying to think of any other major differences between a 12 step call and uh, I think we covered a lot of them. Um, mostly it has to do with the experience and, um, you know, interventions do work. They do work. Um, you know, with the, the right people Um, and Angelina Moore, she was on the show intervention. Um, she's been on our show. She was on our show like two, three years ago. Um, so, because you said you watch that show, so yeah, very cool. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't, I don't think that there are any other differences that we haven't covered that I can think of. I mean, I think sometimes it can look the same. Yeah, but it's really the person that you're dealing with is what makes the difference between an intervention and a twelve-step call. Yeah, because really, truly, if somebody calls me any day of the the week, I will help them. And I'm not above helping a family for free. I have a yeah. family right now that has called me and said, we need help. And but we can't afford your fee. And I can tell you that I told them, I don't care. I don't want anybody dying on my watch. That, that's it. You know. Much as you can, or we can set up a payment plan. But the reality is that I want this person to get help first. Yeah. And then I believe that I will get paid. I'll get paid yeah. one way or the other. You know, yeah. if it's if not if my person quits drinking, there'll be plenty of money left. Yeah. The and next family will, you know, offset the cost. Like I'm I'm not worried about the payment piece. Like, yes, I need to pay my bills, but I know that there's a higher price that I'll pay spiritually for letting people right. go and try to do it on their own. Yep. And I'm often, I often tell families, protect your investment. If you're going to pay a bunch of money to send somebody to treatment, you may as well protect your investment along the way. Yeah. That's a great point. And, and what we're saying here is that we're transparent, that, that there's nothing, there's nothing going on here. I'm the same way. I, my, my motto is sponsees first. Okay. I help my sponsees. I do my AA stuff first. 
after that, I'm, you know, then I'm good. But I'm not going to go work at drug court, things like that, if I'm not working with two or three guys, you know, on my own time. So, um, you know, it's like a work before play thing. But it all washes out in the end, you know. Um, and I've never been hurting. Right. <laughs> And the immense thing, I think that that's part of it too. You know, like I caused a lot of harm out there. I caused a lot of harm with my family, with that's my friends. It. And my amends, which amends the definition, is a change in behavior. Yeah. My change in behavior today helps other people change their behavior. That's right. Yeah. And we do that. And we do that by example. Right. And the yeah. ripple effect, you know, the yep. ripple effect of sobriety and health ripples out onto everybody. And that yeah. is another reason that um, intervention is so successful because the family starts healing and then the person that's addicted has no choice but to get help because everybody else is. Yeah. And, and, and when you grow as a group, when you grow as a family, you become, I don't want to say powerful, but powerful. Yeah. You can, you can create for as much bad as I did. And I agree. I feel responsible. Right. I have to give back after what I've done. And but once that happens, then you have those five people and then they help two more people. I mean, when now we're already at 20 people and, and it just it just goes out. And then one day somebody comes across it. Hey, you said something in a meeting seven years ago that kept me sober. You don't even remember. And, yeah. and this is why it is important that you find your passion in the program. And go after it. Okay. Um, you can reach out to me. You can reach out to Amy. And we'll help you find your passion. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff to be done. Be done in this field. And uh, we need everybody that we can get. Yes, we do. It takes a, it takes a village. It does. <laughs> and uh, um, we're going to keep that village safe. <laughs> <laughs> How can people get in touch with you? So people can call me at 303-915-7072, or you can go to my website at www.adrunkwhisperer.com. And yeah, that's Great. how you can get hold of me. <laughs> my email address is on there. There's a contact card okay. there. And, and uh, I'll make sure that I put it uh, for anybody that, I can't write it down or anything i'll put it in the uh i'll put it in the post too so that you can or i'll put it in the description uh so that you can right. find her also and i think you can go google a drunk whisperer and i come right up do you i'm gonna i'm gonna find out <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, and the reason that i'm a drunk whisperer and not the drunk whisperer is because the drunk whisperer was taken but my sponsor said that's probably good that I'm a drunk whisperer. Well, yeah, because yeah. <laughs> it's you know it throws a little humility in there, I guess. Exactly, exactly, exactly. <laughs> I need to be just another bozo on the bus. That's yeah. that's right. I get it. I really do. I mean, I mean, you want to help, and the thing is, I want to help as many people as I can. Me too. But I'm not looking for popularity. Mm -hmm. But it kind of tends to go a little hand in hand. Right. So, um, so we, we had some great stuff here. Um, skin in the game. I think that was probably the number one thing is once an alcoholic or an addict has skin in the game 
we can certainly make a difference. It takes a tribe, no matter who you are. It, it takes a tribe. Um, and I know for some of us, not everybody uh, has a family that is supportive. So get to as many meetings as you can and find your family in the 12-step groups. That's where my family is. Um, and they tend to understand me a little bit better. So, um, Amy, thank you for taking your time. I know you're, I know you're busy, you know, between you and Blue October and, and Belize. Um, <laughs> now it's time to get back to work. But thank you so much for taking your time on a Tuesday morning uh, to talk with us. Yeah, thank you so much, Dion. It was a great pleasure just getting to know you better and being able to, you know, help somebody else. Yep, and we'll, we'll get this out. And um, All right. Thank you, everybody, for being here. Uh, to, all my, uh, to all my listeners, thank you um, uh, for always tuning in. And uh, I hope everybody has a great day. I love you. Peace out and have a day.